Welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode two of the Pastured Pig Podcast. We thank you for joining us. A um, little update here. We are experiencing a little bit of a hot spell uh, in West Virginia with temps in the high 80s and low 90s, which is a bit unusual for us in in the month of May when I'm recording this. Um, we've had a good bit of rain, too. We had an epic rain event uh, just the last couple nights. It's been uh, been been very wet. So it's interesting with the combination of the heat and the sun and the rain, uh, the pigs have been able to find uh, the slightest bit of wet weather springs in the pasture, and they uncovered one right at the edge of uh, one of my roads and have made a wallow that I believe would swallow my side by side if I uh, uh, dared to venture into it. So I don't know what it is about them um, making a wallow where it's the, the least appropriate place to put it. And you're probably thinking, well, let me get your road out of the pasture, but... In West Virginia, you got to have a road where you can have a road because uh, sometimes the hills are a little too steep there. Well, in our last podcast, we talked to a producer that was growing rapidly from a large production farm with two locations. Uh, this episode, we're going to go kind of in the opposite direction. We're going to go to the other side of the spectrum and talk to a smaller size producer raising CUNY CUNY uh, pigs in New Jersey. We're speaking with Lindsay Colazar. She's in New Jersey and absolutely loves raising uh, pigs on pasture. What's interesting, she's raising her pigs on seven acres uh, less than 10 miles away from the Jersey Shore. Uh, can you imagine what that, um, that calls per acre would be on, on buying land in that area? But uh, she's in a good situation there. Uh, she's had a corporate job for the last 20 years, but as a major in animal science and farm production, and is excited to apply her education on her own farm. So let's dive right in and uh, talk with Lindsay. Well, let's start right here, Lindsay. Uh, Tell us a little bit about you, if you don't mind. All right. Well, I am in my 40s, married, and have been in a corporate American job for the past roughly uh, 20 years, which is kind of amusing because I actually went to college and majored in animal science to be a pig farmer. Um, That was my actual degree was animal science and farm production and management. I had these grand ideas that I'd be working out on a farm and just playing with animals all day. I quickly realized through my degree that farming was a business, and I quickly realized that living in New Jersey, that making money, that probably wasn't going to happen if I wanted to stay in the state of New Jersey. And I really wanted to stay in the state of New Jersey because that's where my immediate family lives. And I had grown up uh, being a military brat, so it kind of bounced around from place to place growing up and wanted to kind of settle and be near my sister who had kids. So staying in New Jersey meant I had to kind of rethink my career choice. And I ended up in pharmaceutical research with my kind of degree in animal science. And okay. 20 years later, still in corporate research. Okay, that's that's um, that's a that's a pretty good swing there, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. Well, I was uh, that was going to be my next question is uh, what uh, what makes a Jersey girl want to raise pigs? But uh, I understand now that uh, that's that's your uh, professional training there uh, initially. Yeah, and absolutely. And actually, when I was a kid, at being a military brat, when I was probably in like the five to six to seven age range, we lived in England, and our landlord was a pig farmer. And I don't remember a lot of the nuances, but I remember my mom would used to wake us up in the middle of the night if a pig was farrowing, and she'd run us down to the farrowing house to see the baby pigs being born. So, like, that always was kind of, like, in the back of my mind, like, being a pig farmer, that just being kind of, like, normal life. That's excellent. Yeah. Okay, well, let's um, let's talk about... Um, some of the setup where you are right now. So you're in New Jersey, and, and you had mentioned in, in some of the information you had sent me prior to that you are close to the Jersey Shore. Uh, so give me a setup where you are geographically and, and the size of your uh, operation there, your property in that. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, as I said, I'm in New Jersey. I'm in central Jersey, about 10 miles probably as the crow flies from the Jersey Shore. So it's not really an area that's very well known for pig farming or production farming, but New Jersey does have um, a large amount of farmland still left in it. Most people don't realize that. They think it's like Newark and Camden and just pure city, but New Jersey does have quite a bit of farmland. There's a lot of vegetable type farms, a lot of horse farms, and then some smaller, more livestock um, kind of hobby farms. Where we're at, we have a just under seven acres we bought about five years ago uh, from a couple who had bought the place as a retirement uh, house for themselves and then let it go for about 30 years. So we came in and were able to buy it from an estate sale and got a pretty good deal on it being in New Jersey, but just have to do a lot of work, really reclaiming the land from a lot of neglect and um, overgrowth and trees and shrubs and vines and, and whatnot. So we're just getting started in, in the kind of the pig world and the pastured pig world to try to reclaim some woods and some just very fallow or very neglected ground and try to bring it back to, to support pigs in a pastured environment. Very good. Very good. So uh, do you raise any other livestock right now other than pigs? No, we had some sheep and uh, goats just as pets. So pigs are our primary livestock. We do have chickens uh, that we do for egg production. Uh, those were really kind of our first foray into um, getting into the farming world. I as I said, I'm in corporate America. I have a job there. I don't, I don't come from a farming background. My parents weren't farmers. So it was, besides the college education, the practical piece of it was all pretty new to me and extremely new to my husband. So the chickens were kind of our, our first step into do we really want to do something like farming um, quickly became a yes. <laughs> and then we got uh, a couple of cooney coonies and I fell right down the slope. There you go. That's the uh, the story you hear all the time. Chickens are the <laughs> gateway animal into farming. Yes. So, yes, they are. Mamas don't let your kids do chickens. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, excellent. Um, so uh, you'd mentioned David there. So uh, is he as on board with this as you are? 
He is absolutely on board with this. He's a mason by trade, has his own company. So as he likes to describe our kind of split of chores, he is uh, the groundskeeper and caretaker, and I am the animal care person. Um, so if I need fencing, he does the fencing. If I need vet, I'm the one who deals with the vet. Um, so we've got a pretty good split. Um, he's learning to take care of the animals a little bit, and I'm learning to take care of the grounds a little bit. So it's, it's been a good kind of hybrid role. That's a good setup. Yeah, that's what you'd call the rigger and the trigger. He's the rigger and you're the trigger, aren't you? Yeah, yeah and if you know you're going to marry somebody in construction, masonry is the way to go because, you know, living in the Jersey Shore, we have very sandy soil, so it's hard to keep a wallow. So what does my husband do? He goes and concretes you know, a corner of the pasture and makes a wallow. Uh, I have trouble trimming hooves with one pig who's got very long hooves. So two weeks later, I have a concrete pad outside the barn for them to walk on. So it's really been um, very beneficial for me, I have to say. Absolutely. That sounds like a great asset to have on the farm. Well, okay. Uh, you had mentioned already, let's let's get into a little bit about the, the breed. You, you said you have the CUNY CUNY. So, yeah, what so I you... started with I started with two Cooney Coonies. I started with a Barrow and a pregnant sow. Um, I went into Cooney Coonies because I knew I'd be the primary animal caretaker. So I wanted something small that I could manage. Um, had worked with kind of the commercial production type sows at college in a confinement setting. Um, I kind of wanted to get a little bit away from that. You know, with having seven acres, I knew I didn't have a lot of land. I didn't want something that would overwhelm me. So Cooney Cooney seemed like it would be a really good choice with some of the research I had done. Excellent. Okay. So um, how many, how many, um, let me try that again. How many bigs do you have right now? Uh, right now, I think I'm up to 15. So I started with two and within two, I've only had them for about two and a half years, not quite. And I'm up to 15. I have one boar, three breeding sows, one gilt. I just brought in actually a couple days ago that I hope to be one of my next breeding sows. And then the remainder are offspring of some litters I had over the past year. Excellent. So uh, that can answer my next question. I assume uh, your boar, he is uh, providing the service instead of AI in that situation. Correct. Cooney Coonies haven't really gone down the path of AI as much as some of the other um, larger commercial kind of pigs have. Um, I think some people do it, but definitely not as common. And I don't think there's like a semen registry or places you can get um, semen easily for the Cooney Cooney. So with them being more docile, a lot of people keep their own boars. Yeah. And that, and that, uh, raises an interesting question. I'm not sure everyone knows exactly, uh, the details of, of that breed. How big would you say, uh, your boar is? And then of course, when you go to market weight or when you have a finished size, what are those sizes relatively? Yeah, my boar actually seems, from from my knowledge with what other people have, my boar is actually quite large. He's two years old, and I would say he's around 400 pounds. So I know that's still much smaller than kind of your regular commercial-type uh, pigs. But for a coonie, that's at probably like the higher-end weight. Uh, he is, as I said, he's two years. At a year old, he was 225 
um, which is quite large. I, I showed him at a year old, and I was in a class with another Cooney boar of the same age, and they stopped me, and they're like, are you sure you're in the right class? He's very large. Um, so I, I like that because the Cooney Coonies have a lot more desirability for kind of the pet trade. I was looking more for, you know, being able to get a, a meat product out of them. I like the larger size of my boar. I took three to market to answer your question about the market. I took three to market and they were about 225 and they, they went to market just under two, but I probably could have taken them at 16 to 18 months. They were roughly about the same size. They didn't grow much after that. I really kept them on a low grain diet to try to not fatten them up too much. Okay. So it sounds like they, um, they're topping out. They, um, the feed conversion at a certain point kind of tops out. You said about 16 to 18 months, it sounds like. It does seem that way. Great. I'm very new at this, so um, there are a, quite a few others who have really been trying to, you know, develop the Cooney into that, you know, more of a meat pig as opposed to the pet trade. So with your um, your one boar and your three breeding sows, uh, what's your breeding regimen? Are you are you breeding, letting them have a litter uh, annually, or are you doing uh, more than one per year? I, I aim for about one litter per sow a year. Uh, seems to be kind of a good ratio. I, I bred all three at the same time last year and had babies last August. Um, each sow had between five to seven uh pigs each so that gives me you know kind of enough pigs to send once they hit kind of that 14 to 18 months you know send a couple of pigs every month or so to market to kind of have a never-ending supply of pork we did send three young boars to market um, more kind of like a roaster weight, about 40 pounds, just to, to see what it would be like as a roaster at that size. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, you, you said something there that triggered another question. So uh, you sent some boars. Do you, with uh, the Cooney Coonies, do you castrate the boars or do you find uh, boar taint isn't an issue with that breed? I was looking to castrate the problem with farming in New Jersey when you're not a farmer yourself and have somebody to show you is uh, we don't have vets who castrate. We There's one vet that I found that will do a farm castration. All the other vets want to do a pet castration, which is $300, just like a dog or a cat, which I'm not down with, takes profit right out the window. I wouldn't be opposed to castrating myself, but I, I kind of had a preference to have a vet do it with me for the first time, just in case, you know, just to, I know there's YouTube videos, but I really wanted that on that hands-on um, kind of experience before I would do it myself. I didn't get that. So the three boars I sent to market just under two, we kind of crossed our fingers and hoped we weren't going to get any boar taint. And we did not. We tested meat from all of them. We've tested the, the pork fat we made uh I, I rendered some lard and no evidence of taint in any of the three i've taken i know taint is so. a is, is a kind of a controversial uh topic mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of uh, 
myth and legend around it. Some say it's voodoo, and some say you can breed it out, and some say it's it's always evident, or people have a genetic uh, dis, um, uh, genetic propensity to, to pick it up, and others don't. So it's, I know there's a lot of information around there that may be correct or incorrect. It's, it's an interesting subject, uh, worthy of an entire podcast series, I'm sure. Yeah, and I'm interested. The three that I took that were at the just under two weren't from the boar I currently have. So I'm interested to see what his offspring um, produce as far as taint, because if his offspring um, have no taint in the first round, then I'm going to assume that I'm going to be good, and I probably won't even look to castrate moving forward. Um, just with trying to schedule somebody to come down here and, and deal with you know any potential risks of hernias or miscastrations with coonies. Um, some coonies can be a little bit more difficult to castrate. The testicles don't descend quite as early or nicely. Um, so it's just if I don't have to deal with it and I can just send them at two years and not have to worry about it, then, uh, you know, I'd be happy. Yeah, that, I, I would agree with that. And again, you know, taint is, is always the big issue. But um, it, castration time on my farm is probably one of the least uh, favorite days of the year. <laughs> I know my, I have two teenage boys and I know they hate that day because it's, uh, they get recruited. <laughs> so they, uh, they do not appreciate castration day at all. Okay, well, um, let's talk about if we if we could let's talk about your pasture setup a little bit. Do you have? Um, I know cooney coons are are good for not necessarily rooting and tearing up pasture as much. Um, it, do you find that to be true? And then do you do a rotational setup? Our goal is to so okay. Let me answer the rooting. So they don't. They definitely don't root as much. I would say my dogs and chickens dig bigger holes than the cooney coonies, but they will turn up the grass in spots um especially this time of year when the you know the ground's just kind of coming uh up uh so you know if you walked out into the field my husband thinks they root if you you know brought a farmer who's raising you know a more traditional hog they're going to look at my pasture and say oh my goodness this is beautiful um so yes they do root but nowhere near as destructive i think as, as some of the larger hogs which is nice my goal is to rotate. That's what we're setting up for. Um, we do have a barn in one pasture that's kind of set up to be a little bit more like a, I would say, like a hobby barn. Um, and that's going to kind of be our main hub of operations. And coming off of that, I do hope to have individual pastures that uh, everybody will kind of rotate through with you know shelters out in that area for the time that they're out there i can't do i don't have a traditional wagon wheel or uh setup that we can really do with our pastures so it's going to be kind of individual pastures just that they walk through so each pasture will have to have its own water wallow feed shelter set up um, and we hope to get there within the next year so right now we don't do a traditional rotational grazing Okay, so in that uh, in that setup, then um, you know a lot of questions come to mind there. So uh, I guess being in Jersey, Jersey's relatively flat, I would assume. Yes. Okay. Yeah, because in West Virginia, nothing's flat. Our, our absolutely flat. Can be. Great. Yeah, our, our pigs have one, two sets of legs longer than the other. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so with that flat land, then of course. Um, 
that gives you the opportunity to, to take full advantage of, of your acreage that you have. Out of your seven acres, you said you had some wood area there. How much of that seven acres is, would you consider pasture grass and the rest woodlot? Uh, so right now we have, and it's I wouldn't call it woodlot right now, I'd call it uh, neglected pasture that has grown up into scrub trees. Um, and that's about three acres. So what we've been doing over the past couple of years is taking down all of the small trees that are really more of weeds, leaving the old growth trees, and we hope to open it up. So right now we're probably split with between pasture and woodlot, and we hope to claim the woodlot back to more pasture. Hmm. Okay. Does the the Cooney Cooney, does it forage pretty well? Yes. Uh, they forage very well and they love their hay Uh, in the winter they eat hay like it's going out of style I probably spend more money on hay than I do grain and in the summer they won't touch the grain the hay and they just are noses to the grass uh, and the pasture all day oh excellent that's great that was going to be my next question about overwintering you're uh, being in Jersey are you zone six Oh, you know what? I'm not sure. Okay, you got to be you got to be close. We're zone six uh, here in in central West Virginia, so I think you all are um, probably 100 miles north of us. So, um, yeah. so, so obviously you have uh, being on the east coast there. You you probably have uh, obviously you definitely have a dormancy season where your your grass and yes. everything goes dormant. So, what do you do for overwintering as far as accommodations go? Do you have a sacrificial area? Uh, they basically stay in their their same pastures. Um, they because we have very sandy soil, being close to the Jersey Shore, we don't have a mud season like many people do. Um, so we don't get a lot of destruction to where they're at. Uh, they eat mostly hay in the winter, so they really stay in their same area. Hmm. That sounds very intriguing. I um, uh, here in West Virginia, it's it's a mud pit around uh, the middle of the winter. We've got I've got not a drop of mud on the farm right now, and we just we've had last year in New Jersey, and I know this because my husband's a mason and he doesn't work when it rains. I believe we had 180 days of rain. Yes, it has been it's been a very very wet year for the yeah. East Coast. Our water table is as high as it's ever been reservoirs and i don't have really a drop of mud except maybe when it rains along the fence line where sometimes they pace waiting for me to come for food that's it wow that uh that seems almost impossible (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah for you know all the bad things about trying to farm in new jersey that's the one plus i will absolutely take yeah, yeah, I could definitely look forward to that. That's for sure. The uh, the amount of mud and and issues we have. Uh, of course, we have the full size Durox and things, so it, it gets a little it gets a little churned up, and that's why I have yeah. to have um, very tall boots at times. Yeah, and that's the nice thing too about the coonies being being smaller. And I know I said I had fifteen pigs. I haven't had fifteen pigs for that long because I just had the litter last August, and you know they're still relatively on the small side even now. Um, so, you know, I, I'm trying not to, with not having a true rotational setup right now, I'm trying not to overburden the land that I have. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Very good. Well, um, 
talking about fencing, you had mentioned um, a little bit of your fencing setup. What do you use uh, fencing-wise? Are you electric? Do you use um, uh, structural paddocks? Yeah, right now we have structural paddocks for half the area we have fenced in. Our goal is to do structural fencing around the entire perimeter of the property. And, and by that, because we have Great Pyrenees and we will more than likely have goats and small critters again at some point, we've done five-foot no-climb goat fencing. Um, that's what we started with. I have We weren't able to do some of the land clearing we wanted, so the other half of our pastures that are fenced are fenced off with hog panels, and that seems to be working very well as well. So my goal is to have the, the no-climb fencing around the perimeter and then do sectional fencing with the hog panels that we can move as we need to. Oh, excellent. So so it sounds like you don't have any electric setup then? No electric. Wow, excellent. Okay. Um, and I actually had, I actually had a, um, the green garden fencing that you buy at Home Depot and Lowe's, you know, like the three-foot, four-foot. I actually had my boar in that fencing um, for about six months, and he only got out once, and it was at a corner where it just wasn't well reinforced. And my neighbor came over and was like, "Your boar's over with our horses visiting. Can you come get him?" <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yep, the old pigs out story. I've heard that one more times than I care to. <laughs> yeah, and as, as I'm walking him down the the road of a totally non farming area, basically. And just walking down, he's following me for a bucket of, you know, grain. I'm thinking to myself, and this is why I have cooney coonies. <laughs> yes, yeah. When you know, when they're 600 pounds and and a little bit harder to to negotiate sometimes through the neighborhood. Yeah. Well, you had mentioned that you uh, you feed out hay in the wintertime and and grain, of course, during the uh, the warmer months. Um, let's talk about your your grain regimen a little bit. What um, what's your feed you're giving? Are you you non-GMO, organic, what are, you, what are you doing there? I had started with the chickens doing the organic feed and non-GMOs, um, and I'd started that quite a few years ago. With the pigs, I'm just doing a regular hog, I believe it's what, the 16%, just a hog grower finisher um, from our local feed uh, feed store. I'm not doing not organic or, or non-GMO. I I kind of debated because I was doing it with the chickens, should I do it with the pigs? But people seem to be more interested with the eggs and chickens being non-GMO. And with the pigs, they were more concerned with them being, you know, humanely raised, like out on the pasture, kind of running free um, and weren't so uh compare or concerned with the organic and the non-GMO and with the very small amount of grain that I do feed I just went with the regular yeah that's interesting I'm, I'm seeing the same thing here in West Virginia definitely with the pastured poultry that we do and then eggs people are more concerned about the non-GMO but with the pigs same thing they just want the um, they just yeah. want to know it's on pasture and, and has uh, accessibility that way okay so um with the feed, wow, that's um, – I guess your your feed bill's pretty low then. You, do you buy in bulk? Do you find a benefit in that or, or with the amount that you feed out that you just kind of go as you need to? I just 
go as I need to. I have, we don't really have storage for too much in bulk. So right now we're just at a, a local feed store. We've got a couple in the area, which is nice. Um, so I'm buying about 500 pounds. I'm buying maybe 1,000 pounds a month, maybe. That's in the winter. Hmm. All right. And you said hay, so I assume you're just you're just sourcing your hay from a feed store as well. I'm sourcing, yeah, from a, a local guy. I think he brings it up from the south. I'm not sure where he gets it, um, but just a local kind of horse quality, goat quality type hay. I, you know, sometimes I pay the extra money for the second cutting and get them, you know, the nice soft, squishy stuff, which they love. I don't do alfalfa, so just kind of like a Timothy grass mix. Yeah, that that keeps uh, that keeps costs low as well. Excellent. Um, well, <clears throat> excuse me. Here we go. <clears throat> Pardon me. So um, let's talk about what's a typical farm day look like. Because you had said you have a you have a day job, and of course you've got your animals to tend to. So what's a farm day in the life for Lindsay? Oh, a typical farm day. Well, t- a typical regular day is I start my corporate job at seven a.m. So depending on whether or not I have to go into the office, wake up extra early. I can get all my farm chores done in the morning in a half hour. And that involves, you know, throwing hay and feed, making sure everybody has fresh water, enough to last through the day. And and basically that's it, cleaning the chicken coop, just doing a spot clean of the chicken coop so my eggs are nice and clean for me when I come home. And that's about a half hour in the morning. If I'm at work, then I'm at work all day. I don't see the animals till I come home at 5 o'clock where it's time to do another round of feed, hay, water. Um, And usually, again, that's another half hour. But what I like to do is then set up for the next day, make sure I have, you know, enough water and buckets ready to go so in the morning I can keep that to a minimum. Um, I am very lucky that even though I work for a corporate pharma, I can work from home a lot. Uh, so my office looks out right over the pastures, and if I'm lucky enough at lunch, you know, I can run out, sit outside for a few minutes, and just kind of enjoy everybody. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, that's that's nice. That uh, flexibility in the work schedule does uh, help out nicely. Yeah, absolutely. And the commute time, you know, if I can save commute time, then that's just more time I can spend doing farm stuff. Yeah. Well, you had mentioned water, and I, I guess that's probably one thing we always address. I know pastured pig farmers sometimes pull their hair out when it comes to uh, water situations. So are, are are your pigs as cantankerous as most? Are they constantly turning over their water pails? Have you come up with a solution there? No, my pigs are the most well-behaved pigs with their water. They, I've used the black rubber buckets. I've got three or four in a field, and they have never to this day dumped a, rub, a bucket. It gets muddy from their noses, um, but they have never flipped it over. Um, so I'm going to find some wood to knock on because I'm <laughs> sure tomorrow that will be different. But to this day, nope, I can set them out water, and I you know, again, I'd make sure they have multiple sources in case they were to do something like that, but they never have. Um, sometimes I get a little crazy with making sure they have clean water, and then they go and drink out of the wallow in the, the back of the pasture, and I'm like, why do I bother? <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, that's great. Wow, that's um, 
That's really interesting. I, we, we're, we're blessed to have a stream right through the middle of our pig pasture. So I, I, unless we have a very dry August, I usually don't have to carry water. But, yeah, oh, I, think, nice. I think mine, uh, I think they do it. As soon as I uh, step back over the fence, they're like, hey, watch, turn it over. Uh, I had one baby pig last two years ago, one of the ones I took to market. wasn't the reason I took it to market, but I had one baby pig who would sleep in the water or, you know, kind of wallow in the water instead of the wallow, but that was the only one. Well, that's great. Um, you're you're impressing me with uh, with this breed. We may have to look into this uh, harder. I like the um, the high speed, low drag, uh, zero maintenance. <laughs> hey, you know, and they, that's really what they are. I just, I, you know, I kind of wish they would just get to, you know, a, a marketable weight a little bit quicker. I mean, you know, I've got seven months old now, and you know, seven months with a commercial pig, you're, you know, you're going. It's market time. This pig, you're still going. I've got another seven months to go at least. So. If you're willing to to give the time to it, then the maintenance for somebody like myself and my husband, you know, who this is our kind of first foray into a breed and really trying to say, you know, our pigs for us, it's not overwhelming. That's excellent. Yeah. Well, um, let's talk about uh, with your where you are in your setup now. What uh, what are your short term goals with your pig operation? You talked about uh, selling some of them for for meat and and obviously consuming them yourselves. But where are you right now, short term? What's um, what do you want to see in the next twelve months? <sighs> in the next twelve months, really keeping what we're doing now is just you know having having litters that are really designed to be meat litters. I, I'm not, I don't really want to go down the pet trade market. If somebody wants a pet, I have no problem selling them. Um, or if they want to breed, I have no problem selling them as live animals. But really just being able to provide pork and sausage, or sausage was fabulous that we got from our coonies, um, you know, to our family, friends, and, and small markets, I would love to find a USDA processor. So right now we're not doing USDA. So um, right now we're not really selling the meat because legally we can't. Um, so we're going to have to sell, you know, on the hoof uh, and use the butcher in that manner. I'd really like to find in New Jersey, you know, a USDA butcher so we could do retail cuts. Yeah, I see that more and more, especially when you get outside of you know the Midwest pig region. Uh, there's definitely a deficiency when it comes to USDA processors. We had one that was an hour drive from me, and he finally gave up his certification. He just wasn't paying all the uh, the fees and yeah. uh, the labor expenses that go along with that. And it is unfortunate. Uh, and it's again, and, we and could, it is. And the butchers we the butcher we used, we were so happy with. I mean, it, everything went so smoothly. What we got back was incredible. Um, you know, all the kind of smoked and seasoned and processed meats just had such a good flavor to them. It's like, oh, I can't believe I can't sell this. So in New Jersey, does is there not an option for the law uh, in the law for you to process individual cuts with a processor and, and sell those individually uh, as long as it stays in state? You know, I'd have to look into that. I don't know all the kind of intricacies. So that's probably something in the short term that I will have to figure out is like, what can I legitimately and what legitimately legally do um, with retail cuts? Yeah. Right now, with only taking a couple, we haven't really been forced to have to deal with that. Um, Our our first goal was to say, you know, is our family 
going to even like what we have. So, you know, right now it's just kind of been like a taste test, like, you know, come over for dinner and, you know, we'll cook you up some bacon and sausage, um, you know, make pork chops. Do you guys like this? Um, and we've gotten rave reviews so far. So now it's like, okay, this could be um, sustainable in the future. Yeah, I can't imagine you'd have anybody turn you down when they say, hey, come over, I'm going to make bacon. <laughs> Excellent. So, um, so looking at, uh, make sure I'm understanding. Have you so have you sold any of your pigs uh, on the hoof to to customers yet? Have you touched into that market? Not yet. We've only we've done some live sales uh, for like breeder animals or pets. So I've done that, but not for on the hoof for a butcher. Okay. Well, excellent. Well, it probably segues well into the next question of long-term goals, and I think we've kind of hit on that with your uh, processor searching and, and maybe getting into some retail. Are there any other goals uh, long-term that you see, maybe the increasing the size of your operation or even expanding your farm? Oh, my long-term goal would be able to quit my real job and do this for real, but then part of me wonders, you know, it's it's, it's not really work for me right now because it's my hobby. Uh, so I, I want to be very careful. I don't want to make it where it, it's too much. Uh, unfortunately, with where we are, we kind of don't have the option of expanding uh, size-wise the amount of property we have. If we did, we'd have to probably look to move to a different area of New Jersey. Um, yeah, I can't, so imagine, long, the, can't yeah. imagine the cost per acre would be very uh, doable in your neck of the woods. No, it is not. Um, and the, the, unfortunately, New Jersey's got one of the highest property taxes as well, so that kind of hamstrings you um, in some ways. So long term, my husband's not looking to leave the area because of his business, so my long term goal is how can I make this work, how can I make this more profitable with what I have now. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Well, you definitely... Um... Uh, you, you've got the uh, the population and the demographic around you. I'm sure to sell the product once you uh, once you figure out exactly how you're going to do that. Uh, that's a great yeah. thing. You don't have to drive hours to to reach a market like uh, some uh, rural uh, setups do. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, just with my eggs, I'm selling six, eight dozens. I'm, I mean, sometimes to the same person <laughs> within a week. I mean, I can't even keep myself in eggs. What's a dozen eggs go for, uh, farm-raised eggs go for in Jersey right now? Uh, anywhere from 4 to $6. Very good, very good. I love that. That always, that always intrigues me because you'll find uh, uh, where we are rural, some people, uh, in fact, I was just at the feed store this morning, and they were selling them for a dollar a dozen. And, uh, oh, wow, yeah. And then, of course, you, you find, I mean, we sell ours for $4 a dozen where we are. Yeah. I mean, I have people give me more money. They're like, no, no, take this. It's it's okay. I'm like, oh, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> they want us to continue. My mom, I mean, I'd shoot my mother, but my mother's not the type of person just to, she's never been the type of person to give me money just to give me money. But with the pigs, she's like, she's like, I'll give you whatever you want. I just want you to keep doing it. And I'm like, no, that's okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we have the, uh, have our core customer base that just, Absolutely loves it. They'll do everything they can. They uh, we call them our disciples because they'll do everything they can yeah. to promote uh, our products because they love them so much. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, um, I'd like to. Uh, we're going to 
come come to the home stretch here, and I want to close with a question for you. That's kind of a okay. uh, maybe maybe a deeper thought question. But what is your best experience or favorite part about raising pigs on pasture? Oh goodness, I just you know I just like sitting outside and just seeing them enjoy being a pig. You know, I'm not asking them to be my pet inside, which, you know, if people want to do that, great. I have no problems. I've got a pig that could very easily become a house pig. But, you know, I know that at the end of the day, they're just doing their thing and just that's it. They don't have a care in the world, and I'm sitting out there, and I don't have a care in the world, and it's just, just is. Excellent. Yeah, do you, it's it's one of those things where you can really find joy in just um, just watching an animal do what it was uh, mm-hmm. created to do, and to be able to enjoy that uh, that natural setting. I always like Joel Salatin. He always talked about um, the pig's pigness and uh, just enjoying the pigness of a pig. And and we always say on our on our farm that we let a pig be a pig by being out yep. and running around. Yeah, and I you know when I was at Rutgers, you know they had the farrowing barn and the farrowing crates and. You know, they raised up the, the you know, market pigs on the concrete. And I I never even thought anything different. You know, uh, to me, that's how you raise pigs. And then I come out here, I'm like, wait a minute, I got a pig, like, eating grass all day. You know, there's not a farrowing crate, not a piece of concrete. Well, except for my wallow because I cheat. But, um, you know, it was just like, wow. And I didn't even realize that was a possibility when I went to college, which is weird because I went – to college to raise pigs. That's great. Yeah, that, that's that's it is an interesting uh, uh, story there. That you know, having that professional training in that specific uh, area, and then and realizing you can go the different direction. You you, I don't would say you've seen the light, but it is a different uh, it is a different approach. Yeah, I know. I've actually been very tempted to reach out to, you know, my old professors or, you know, whoever is there at, at Rutgers still and say, hey, you know, I do a little bit different style of pig raising. You know, would you be interested in having some of your grad students do a project or do a, a master's thesis in regards to pastured pigs? I'd loan you the pigs. I've got Cooney Coonies. I'd, I'd loan you some so your some kids could grow up knowing that there's a different way to raise hogs. Oh wow! What a great idea that would be. Yes, I know. I've I've debated about that. I haven't pulled the trigger yet, but I'm I so I'm so tempted. Very good, very good. Well, Lindsay, um, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. It was really great getting to to know your setup there in New Jersey, and it's it's neat to know that the Garden State still is is gardening and farming and and doing well there with uh, your uh, your Cooney oh. Coons. Oh, we have the best peaches and blueberries and tomatoes, so we are still the Garden State. It really is a beautiful state. I've been there several times, and it is. It's uh, I, I've I've been to the areas uh, the Newark and in uh, in Atlantic City, but then I've also been out in the countryside. It is uh, it is a, a lovely state. Thank you. Well, um, is there at this time? Do you have any um, any way for people to find out more about you? Do you have any social uh, media or website presence that people can find out more information about you? I don't, yeah, that would be part of my short-term and long-term goals. Okay. Well, great. Well, um, if you uh, if you do, oh, I'm sure we'll still be in touch, but if you do get the information, then I can always come back and post that in our, uh, oh, absolutely. our uh, show description there so we can share that okay, with great. people that come across this at a later time. 
Well, Lindsay, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and, and sharing uh, your operation setup with us and appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Thank you. I was happy to do so. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Well, I really thank, uh, I want to thank Lindsay for taking the time to talk with me. Um, I, I really enjoy different perspectives and, and, and different ways people are, are raising their animals on pasture. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a review uh, in the podcast feed. Also consider sharing this podcast with others you think may enjoy it. We obviously would love the podcast to grow, but we do so at uh, our our listeners' uh, efforts. So we appreciate uh, any, uh, any anybody spreading the word that would there. Also, don't forget to check us out at redtoolhouse.com and click on our podcast link to recommend future topics or suggest a guest for a future interview. If you would like to be interviewed, then use that same form. Drop us a little line and we'll start the process. All right, take care, everybody. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.